All right, so how many people made a summer mixtape? How many people just made a mixtape? I remember, some of you did, come on. And I remember when the first uh, cassette recorders came out. You got a cassette player, but then you got a cassette recorder. I actually would sit by the radio waiting for my favorite song, to, and I would press record right away. And then I'd just hold it up, and then I'd have my song recorded. How cool was that? And I remember so many times I'd get the song, oh, that's not the song. And then I'd have to rewind to the last song and listen in to the end of the song to get it just so it was just perfect. And then I had this long tape of DJ starting and stopping and clicks and pops. It was awesome. It was this amazing thing that I could create my music. I could create just a, a playlist of, of the things that I like. Now we look back, obviously, and today we've got Spotify and all the different platforms that you can just pick and choose and listen to anything at any time. But when it first came out, it was an amazing thing. And, and that's why people would like make a mixtape. And you, you'd like a girl say, I made you a mixtape. And you'd give the mixtape, you know, all Napoleon Dynamite, you know. And, and just, just kind of, that actually happened. A lot of you kids laugh at that. That actually happened, not to me. All right, well, around, well, I actually. Anyway, the whole thing is, is that this, this was a way of saying, hey, listen, these are songs that speak to me. They make me feel the way I want to feel. They, they connect with me on some way. And, you know, I just like them. And maybe it was the sound, maybe it was the lyrics, maybe it was the story. And I want you to know me a little bit better because of this song, these songs. These are the songs I like. And if you like the songs that I like, maybe we can, like, be friends or, or something like that. You know, this is the thing about music, right? It's just really one of God's better ideas. It's just this incredible thing. I wonder when he invented it, he said to the angels, hey, check this out. And then he just said, this is music. And, and then the first people ever hear music, we're just like, what was that? It's like talking, but it's longer and it's, it's, it's more, I, I don't know, because musical wasn't a word yet. And it was just this thing. It makes me think about things and feel things that I never felt before. There's this incredible power in music. It's interesting. They actually do studies on music and what listening to music does to us. And there are all kinds of study that show that music, it has many effects on our brains. There are certain parts of our brains that, that when we play music that really we like, it creates endorphins, those pleasure center things in the brain that we just absolutely like. If we play a song that's very familiar, it can actually create all kinds of responses. For some of us, it can lead, it starts making neurons fire in such a way in, in a crisis part of the brain that, that simulates fear and, and anxiety. Other times it's just full of that part of the brain that holds all the memories. But, but God has invested this incredible power in this thing of music. They've actually done studies that say listening to classical music can actually help you when you're studying. It helps you become creative. It, it's incredible power. Throughout history, music has been powerful. They're, they're just songs that unite us. I mean, how many people, when Billy Joel's Piano Man comes on the radio, turn it up? How many? Come on, anybody? Some of you just not being honest today. I turn it up. Oh, Sweet Home Alabama, that one. All right, there we go, a couple more. These are just some, everybody knows. You know, I love that song, you love that song. It's just this thing. But it also goes back before the time when we had recorded music. One of the biggest things that would happen in communities was, was everyone would go down to the, the pub or the tavern. And pubs and taverns weren't primarily for drinking. They were for socializing, and they were for singing. And people would come, and they would sing songs, and 
Everybody would sing no matter how bad it was. The military used to use music a lot more beyond just the bands. Soldiers, when they went to war, would, would march and would sing. And it, and it solidified it. it. It brought them together. There's something about being at a concert with just thousands of other people and songs that mean something to you, being sung by, by a person who, who's created that song that you really like. There's just this incredible sense of solidarity being in that. Now, it can get kind of goofy. It can get dark. You know, we start treating our artists like gods, and they influence us, and how we act, and how we dress, how we think, all those kinds of things like that. But, but, but there's a profound power in this thing of worship. Now, it's also true, obviously, in the church. You know, one of the things that has happened throughout the history of the church is the church has recreated itself musically. For a, a long period, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Church was a situation where you'd come and you'd only hear choirs, and they would do what was called Gregorian chant, you know, that kind of stuff like that. In Latin, it, didn't, it sounded better than that. But, but the thing about it is, 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 is you would just listen to that. And many people didn't even know what the, the songs were, 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 were all about. One of the things that is, is, is at the hallmark of every single spiritual revival in both Europe and the United States is that music seems to be at the heart of it. That is to say that someone went into the taverns and took the popular songs that they were singing in the taverns and they went out and they, and they sang them to Christian lyrics. You know the song, we praise the old God, our redeemer, creator. How many have heard that song? You know the original lyrics? There once was a barmaid whose name was Matilda. That's the original lyrics. You didn't know that, did you? But, but they found the music that spoke to the hearts of the people, and they brought it to the people. Amazing Grace, universally condemned by the high church for being just kind of a silly kind of ceremonial bar song. But it touched the hearts of the people, perhaps no song greater than Amazing Grace. It's hard to overestimate the amazing importance of singing in the Christian life, in life in general. You know, it, it, when you consider, particularly when you consider that throughout most of Christian history, most Christian people were people who couldn't read. And so almost all of their theology, almost all of what they knew about God either came through a sermon, but more deeply came through the songs that they sang. Because there are many songs that we sing about God and what he's like. There's other songs we sing to God. There's other songs we sing to our own own soul. Arise, my soul, arise. All these different things. But all of it is about this thing of using worship and music. Now, this thing of worship also, you know, it's just full of pitfalls. Because everybody's got kind of an opinion, a perspective about what worship is supposed to be all about. So for the next several weeks, you're going to hear from the heart of several of our worship leaders, several of our worship pastors, and for myself as well, uh, just about what's at the heart of this thing called worship. Because worship is one of the things that we call the five commitments around here. And really, worship of the five commitments really needs to be put in its own category. Because it is, a, it is, it is more important than really anything else we call ourselves to do. Let me say something just that maybe sounds really kind of crazy to you. The most important thing you will do in your life is worship. The most important thing you will do in your life is worship. In fact, you were created to worship, and if you are not a person who actively, regularly worships, you're not doing the thing that you were created before. And if you don't find your way to worship, well, then your life ultimately is going to be uh, futile. It's going to be frustrating. Now, now, here's the other thing I want to say. is not only were you created to worship, but here's the other thing I want you just to understand. You actually are worshiping something. 
because you are so hardwired to worship, there's something in your life that you have put in the place you say, oh, that's beautiful. That is awesome. That is what I want. I will spend my money on that. I will spend my time for that. That's what gets me excited. This is your comfort. This is just what I want to do. I want to get off early at work today to do this. And whatever that is, that's the thing you can worship. Now, let me just say something about, about these other things we worship, you know, these, these false gods. Is anything you worship other than the true God is a cruel God. It is a cruel God. It will take from you. It will use you. It will abuse you. It will ultimately leave you unsatisfied. Even if it gives you the things it promises, it actually will leave you broken and and empty. You were created to worship the living God. And if God's not real in your life, for, for you it may be the case that worship is the pathway that leads you back to God. That's been the story of so many people who come to Jacob's well. They have said, you know what, I just started coming, and I don't know what it was. I don't remember any of the sermons, but there was just something about when we started to sing. I would come. Some have said, I cried for the first, like, six months I came here every Sunday just because there's just something about it. Well, well, let's look at what it is. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. Look what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says this. He's talking about worship. He's talking about proper ways to worship. He says, what am I to do? He said, I will pray. He look at this. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. And so worship is the place where our spirit and our mind meet with God. And sometimes he challenges our mind. Sometimes he challenges our spirit. Look what he goes on to say after that. He says, I will also sing praise. So he says, first of all, I will pray. And then he says, I will sing praise with my spirit. But I will also sing with my mind as well. And so there is a thing of this thing of prayer. First of all, it it connects. And you'll be amazed. You, You should be amazed if you study it. How often prayer and singing are connected. More than that, there are many times in the same verse used interchangeably. That is to say, when we sing to God and about God, we are, we are praying. We're actually talking to God. Some people say, well, why don't we pray more in the, in the services? Well, every time we sing, you know, we're actually talking to God. You say, what do you mean? Well, you are bigger than all my dreams. Well, who are we talking to? That person next to you, you know, you're bigger than all my dreams. None of that. We're talking to God. We're, we're, we're directing our thoughts. And many times it's just in brokenness, the music and the presence of God heals and speaks and corrects and comforts and rebukes our spirit. Other times it's our mind where, oh God, you're like that. Oh God, I forgot this. Oh God, I did this. I just got to confess it to you. But all of that worship comes back. Worship is central to the Christian's life. It's why we were created. Look what he says then in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Be filled with the Spirit. The center of that is this thing of worship. Addressing or greeting one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what he says here is that one of the commands of scripture is that you gather together and together you sing to God and then you sing to each other and you admonish each other and you do hymns and songs and spiritual songs. And there's all kinds of people have ideas about each one of those things are. But in essence, what he says is you want to sing songs based on the scripture. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. We're actually going to have a message on this next week. How many of the songs we sing are actually almost word for word from scripture? 
It's one of the coolest things in the world when you're, when you're hearing a song and then later on you're reading the Bible and says, oh, that, that's that song. How many songs come from the book of the Revelation or how many come right from the Psalms or from the teachings of Jesus? These songs, and, and that's one of the best way to have the word of God sink into your heart is to sing the words of Christ, the words of the Bible all the time. And what this does is it, is, it, is it creates community. It unites us together. That's why he says, first be filled with the Spirit, and then do this thing of worship. And then he ends with verse 21, therefore you'll be able to submit to one another, or, or put one another first, or care about what's important to the other person. It all comes back to this thing of just putting God in the center, God just being just um, um, the center of everything. See, here's the deal. What you worship will drive your life. And when you get worship right, it is amazing how much of your life becomes filled with meaning and joy. But when you start worshiping other things, it is amazing, even if those seem to be really good things, how how often those things, they're they're just totally leave you empty, flat, unfulfilled, and miserable. And, And in the quiet times in your life, you feel that lack. Worship is that thing that's creating that void. Now, uh, I was thinking about this thing of worship and the diversity of worship. And I, and I started thinking about all the different kinds of worship services I've experienced in my life. So, so I've done worship in little churches. Uh, I was pastor of a little church for a long time. I came to know Jesus in a little church. And I have distinct memories in that little church. As a new Christian, just being filled with so much joy, so much happiness, so much forgiveness, I'm just singing out at the top of my lungs. And I, and I just used to sing and just let it go. It was just the most beautiful thing. I, I've, I've worshipped in big churches. Churches full of people with, with great musicians and incredible peas and all that kind of stuff. And God has met me there. I've, I've worshipped in huge cathedrals. One of my early memories in growing up Catholic is God really meeting me at my first communion in a way that to this day, it just God was just right there. It was just an early touch from God. I've been in Spanish-speaking churches where I haven't understood a word of what was going on, but the Spirit of God was there just so wonderfully, so beautifully. It was an incredible experience. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of worshiping in an African-American church, a church where, you know, they're just, they're just jumping and they're running and they're singing, and, and, and it is just the most amazing experience of the joy that comes out of that history and that experience and how important music is. And, and spirituals were to those people who went through such a long time of, of horror and persecution. I've worshipped in little house churches where there's just 12 people and a guitar and the Spirit of God just ascends in that place. I've had the privilege of being in the Middle East in a small home and worshipped with a group of people who were persecuted Christians in that part, many of whom had been arrested simply for being Christians. And the Spirit of God met me there. I've been at an event called Promise Keepers. I don't know if any of you remember that. But it was a men's event where there were tens of thousands of men worshiping in an arena. It was this most incredible thing. I still get chills thinking about the first time I experienced that. And, and one of my favorite worship memories, this time of year particularly, is this, this, this hot little barn thing they called the, the ark in a place called Camp Jim. When, when I was young, I, I used to do camps, and, and it was so hot, and, and we would go into there, and we would just start worshiping, and those kids would start getting into it, and we would all just leave just soaking wet sweat, and, and, and so many kids heard the message as we taught, and came and accepted Christ, and still friends with so many of them who found Christ. Now, here's my point about all that. God shows up, and it has less to do with our preferences, with what we like, with, with what, what we desire, then, then, then it does with the attitude of our hearts. Let me challenge you here, and if you get only one thing 
from, from this whole series, may, maybe this would be the thing. I want to challenge you with the wrong question we ask when we come to church. And then I want to challenge you with what I think is the right question. The wrong question when we come to church is, did I get anything out of that? I mean, did I get anything out of that? I mean, I'm just, I just don't know that I got anything out of that. You know what? You know what? Did I enjoy that? Was that meaningful? Was that fulfillment? Well, here's the deal. When you start with that question, when that's your central question coming into worship, and, and it is for so many of us, I slip into it. Listen, when you do that, well, that just makes worship for you. It makes worship about you. It makes, you know, worship, the whole thing, a production that's kind of designed, if I can just say it, to entertain you. But there's a more profound question that we should ask. And we should ask this every time we approach the throne room of God, every time we pray, every time we go to worship, and it's simply this. Did God get anything out of my worship? Did God enjoy my worship? Did what I brought to God mean anything to him? Was he blessed by what I gave to him? Because here's the deal. Worship's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the band. Worship is about God. It's about the one who is worthy. The word worship comes from an old English word, which means worship. It means that we show up to a worship service, not to be served, but to offer God our service of giving him his worth, of giving him his praise, of giving him his admiration. That's what worship is. And when we come with a perspective and attitude of, boy, I hope they got something good today. Or, you know what, I just didn't, you know, it didn't do anything for me. I, I don't like that song. Or, you know what, Paul, what's he talking about this again? You know, this kind of thing like that. Well, well then your attitude is, you know, I just, I, just, I just hear about me. You see, if you're like me, you, you've got to learn how to have your heart tuned. Now, to kind of illustrate this, um, each week we're going to share uh, one of the speakers, one of our favorite songs that have to do with worship. And, and I'm not a guy who does favorite for instance, if someone says to me, what's your favorite kind of ice cream? I say, I don't know. What do you got? You know, that's kind of how I am on that. Favorite food, same thing. I, I'm open. You know, I, got, I like options, all right? You know? But truly, when you ask me what my favorite song is, this is the song I go to. It is a song that stirs my spirit and it stimulates my mind. I have learned from it. Just year after year after year, it challenges me, it brings me to the end of myself, and it refocuses me on God. It's a song called Come Thou Fount. It's an old hymn. It was written by a guy by the name of Robert Robinson. He lived in London. Uh, he had a pretty bad background. He was part of a notorious street gang, uh, and he lived uh, a life of, of just, the, 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 the historian says, debauchery. He degraded himself. Now, um, Charles Wesley, the great Methodist revivalist, came, and he would come, and they sang songs, and they, they introduced new music. Charles Wesley, the great revivalist, was a hymn writer as well. Uh, John and Charles Wesley, um, just incredible, incredible um, movements of God throughout England and then the United States. Well, he went to make fun of it, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. After a while, he felt called to become a pastor. He became pastor, a rather large church, it says, um, and at a young age, and at a very young age, and he was known to become uh, just a great thinker about the nature of God and about the forgiveness of God because he'd been forgiven so much, and, 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 and a great theologian. He wrote so many hymns, but he wrote this one when he was 23 years of age. 
23 years of age. I think that explains some of the beauty and some of the passion. It, it's, it's this song, Come Thou Found. And I want to read you some of the lyrics of the verses. And I just want to unpack it and connect to the scripture. Look what it says. It, it says, first of all, come thou fount of every blessing. And so engaging our minds. And one of the reasons why we say we get bored in church is we don't engage our minds. We're not thinking about the words that we're actually singing. I mean, if you, you don't think how deep the Father's love is and, and that doesn't engage your mind as well as your heart, your spirit. You're not trying, you know. Uh, but he says, come thou one of everybody. So come thou source, come thou origin of every blessing. So every blessing that's ever been given has been given by God. And he says, come to me. Come thou fount of every blessing. And this next line, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And so the idea is, my heart is like an instrument, and it's out of tune. It's out of tune. And so I would sing to you, I would praise to you, but there's something in my heart that's making me out of tune. You say, what kind of things gets a person's heart out of tune? Well, distraction. Loving things other than Christ, more than Christ. They get your heart out of tune. How about apathy? You know, coming to worship God and just... Not expecting much, not doing much, not participating much. That, that can get our hearts out of tune. How about bitterness or unforgiveness? So that you're not willing to give the very forgiveness that this hymn is going to sing about in just a minute. Just tune my heart, oh God. How about cynicism or, or jealousy? How about a sense of entitlement? Entitlement in worship looks like, you know, it's for me. It's about me. I'm entitled to this thing of worship rather than saying, no, God, you're the only one who's ever entitled. You're the one who's entitled to all things, and so it's about you. How about just pride? This thing of, of just, I'm at the center of it. And so, so those things come in our life. And, and whenever I come to worship, I just ask God to search me, know me, tune my heart, oh God, that I might come back and sing about your grace. And what's God's grace? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, but what we desperately need. Let me just say that again. Grace is God giving us what we desperately need, but, but what, we, what we don't deserve, but what we desperately need. What we don't deserve, but what we desperately need. And so this is a song about tuning my heart to remember the grace of God that I need every moment of every day. He says there are streams of mercy. They're never ceasing. And they demand, they call for loudest praise. You deserve this because you gave this to me, God. He says, teach me some song, some sonnet that, 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 that they would sing in heaven, that the angels sing above, because I want to praise this giant mountain. What mountain? The mountain of your love. Thy, thy, thy redeeming love. Praise the mountain. Praise the mountain of your redeeming love. Your love is so vast, so big. It's like a mountain. And so I, your love has brought me mercy, joy, and my heart forgets that. My heart gets distracted and gets worldly and it gets sinful and, and it gets selfish and it gets all these things, gets prideful. I just need you once again, God, to tune my heart to remember. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 reminds us that for it's been grace through which we have been saved. And without God's grace, without his mercy, there is no salvation. And it's not of your own doing, okay? You didn't provide anything you have for yourself, particularly your salvation. It's not the results of your effort or your goodness or your great. God didn't, you know, choose you because you were the top of the class. So none of us go to God and boast. How do we go to God? We go and worship. And so this song is meant to be a song that, that again calls us back. Say, God, tune my heart. Look at the second verse because it just gets better. It's a weird verse, but when I explain it, it's absolutely beautiful. He says, here I raise mine Ebenezer. People go, what's that? 
Then I always say, well, it's the oldest son of somebody. No, Ebenezer raised me. Never. It's not that. So here's the Ebenezer. There's a story in the Old Testament about Samuel, and he fought an incredible battle against some of the enemies of God. It was a life or death battle. So if these enemies would have won, they'd wiped out the people of God completely. But God showed up, and he saved them. And so because of that, he came, and he took these stones, and he made this giant altar, this giant monument, and he said, that is the Ebenezer, because the Ebenezer in their language meant, God has been our help so far. And the understanding is, is he has been faithful to help me in the past, he's going to be faithful to help me in the future. And so this song, listen now, this act of worship is me raising this Ebenezer, me declaring, me declaring, I have hither by thy help I've come. You've helped me in the past, you're going to help me again. And he says, I hope by thy good pleasure that your help will cause me to safely arrive at home. That ultimately I just need to be with you. The only way I'm going to get there is your mercy. And then he's reminded of the great mercy from the past that will sustain him in the future. Jesus sought me when I was a stranger, when I was a sinner. And what was I doing? I was wandering from the fold of God. I was moving away from all that God did. How did he do it? He rescued me from danger, the danger of death, hell, and judgment by interposing his precious blood, by dying on the cross for me, by interposing his dying blood. Look at 1 Samuel 7, verse 12. It said, Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Nebuchadnezzar, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And so an Ebenezer is a stone of God's help. It's a memorial of God's help. It's a declaration of God's help. The idea, by the way, of that stone was generations later, the kids would say, who stacked those rocks there? And the father would say, Samuel did, because that was a reminder that God has helped us in the past. He will help us in the future. That's an Ebenezer, and we raise it up. How did he raise it up? Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It said, while we were still weak, at right at the right time, Christ died for the pretty good, for the people who are making progress, the people who weren't so bad. No, he died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person might die for a good person, verse 8. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, wandering from the fold of God, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved for him by from the wrath of God. And, and so, so he's singing about this incredible help that came when we were wandering from the fold of God. And then verse 3 is about a declaration of asking God to keep me on the path. He comes back and he says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. This unmerited favor, this God giving us what we need, we desperately need, but we don't deserve. He says, oh, to grace, this song, whole song's about grace. It says, to my heart to sing your grace. He comes back to grace. Oh, to grace, I'm in such debt to you. Every day, I, I'm just, I'm constrained to be. I mean, grace is my only hope. It helped me in the past. It helped me today. It's my only hope for the future. He says, let your goodness, God, be like a fetter. A fetter is a chain. Let your goodness bind my wandering heart to thee. He says, I, I'm going to be just prone to wander. I mean, I'm going to leave church tonight, and I'm going to want to wander into bad things. I'm going to get in tomorrow, and I'm going to follow these things. He said, let your love chain my heart, heart to thee, that, that, that I would not wander. He said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it so that one day I can be with you in the courts above. This is a person who's come back to God, and because their heart has been tuned to the grace of God through worship, 
They are now ready to stand before God and say, God, I've got nothing else. Just take my heart. Take my whole being. Keep me secure in your perfect peace. Consider Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the scriptural foundation for this verse. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, look at this, were sealed or chained if you will, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so we are given the Holy Spirit that is going to continue, not because we've earned the Holy Spirit, but because it is given to us by grace that we would be brought home in the most divine way. You see, this song is a song about 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 rediscovering grace. And, and what I really want you to get from it is that very, very beginning, just the first part, just the second part of the very first line, tune my heart. Because that's what worship is all about. And it's actually the key to great worship. That when I walk into a service like this, when I open up maybe the Bible, you know, um, uh, on my own, or, or whenever I'm in any kind of environment, God, help me just have your perspective on it. Father, just take away any agenda that's about me and let let me just make this all about you because you are my God and, and this is about you. It's about your worship. And Father, maybe they won't sing songs I like. You know, maybe maybe Paul be long-winded. I know that's never happened, but it might. It, just, it might just be, you know. But let me set all of that aside and, and God, let me not be so concerned about getting something for me let, let me just be concerned about just giving you thanksgiving. Or maybe I need to give you confession. Or maybe I just need to give praise to you. Maybe I need to give adoration to you. Maybe I need to submit to you. Maybe you'll speak to me in some way about doing something, and my saying yes to you is an act of worship. Maybe you'll, you'll speak to me about, about forgiving someone who I don't want to. My agenda is to not forgive them, but you've said to forgive them. And, and so now, if it's about you, worship would be me forgiving them, extending the grace that was given to me to some others. And you say, they don't, they don't deserve that grace. Neither do you. When did this become about deserving? You see, that's the thing. And worship recenters us. It reconnects us in, in, in the heart of God. That's why it's so important we gather up here once a week, you know, to come together and, and to worship God and to recenter ourselves on God in the most wonderful way. I have some challenges for you um, this weekend. The first one is, is we've got a new summer devotion out. And what this is all about is this is all about a lot of great Christian songs throughout history. And actually, a lot of the songs we sing. And the cool thing is, through the summer, you could look at these songs. You could sing these songs. You could read these songs. And you say, I don't have a very good voice. The Lord said, make a joyful noise. He didn't say anything about quality. Okay? Just a joyful noise. Okay? then you know what? If it's squeaky out of tune, I think God likes that the best sometimes, if it's honest from the heart. So, so, so here's the deal. Grab this, and every day you would learn about a different hymn or about one of the songs that we just sang. Come the fountains in there, uh, the, a couple of the songs we sang today, some of the favorites from some of our worship leaders. We've written devotions around those songs and giving you an opportunity uh, to, to do that this summer. I want to challenge you to maybe invest a day in worship. Check out this one fest thing. Might be a good thing for you and your family to just come out and just say, you know what? We're just going to invest the day in, in just lifting up worth to God through all these artists and the just wonderful thing. And, and, and perhaps more than anything else, I, I just want to challenge you to ask God to give you a new perspective on worship. If, if you're just honest with yourself, I mean, so, you know, you know what? I have been all about worship for me. I, I really have just been all concerned. I'm not getting anything out of this. You know, what's the point of this? You know, what am I, why me? And what, why, why, what do I get? 
just all of a sudden say, God, what do you want from me in worship? What heart do you want from me? What attitude do you want me? What would it look like to make you the center of my worship again? Maybe God has identified in your life right now that there's something in your life that, you know what, is keeping worship from being real. Maybe you're just really distracted by some other thing, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you this week and said, you know, that's the most important thing in your life. That's the thing you're worshiping. You're more excited than that about that than me. Care about that. That's what you talk about. That's just, that's just the thing you just are so jazzed about. When were you jazzed about that with me? And, and just God began to just change my heart for that. And it's just the most wonderful way. Maybe for you, um, there's, this is a week where you would raise an Ebenezer. You said, you know what, I'm going through a difficult time, and I'm just wondering where God was, but I look back, and remember God has been faithful. And he's faithful today, and I'm going to raise up a declaration. I'm going to raise up some kind of symbol. I'm going to maybe get a rock from my garden and put it somewhere I see it. Say, this is my rock of remembrance. And I'm going to say, God has been my help. He will be my help again. I'm raising my Ebenezer. I'm reminding my heart. I'm reminding my mind and my heart of how faithful God is. And so maybe for you, it's all about those things. And so we want to come to God in a radically different way, in a way that makes worship just all about him. Let me pray, um, and then we're going to sing a song. I bet you can't guess which one we're going to sing. Father God, I thank you that you don't expect us to come to you as perfect people. That many times when we come to you honestly and broken, that, that, is, that just delights your heart. But Father, when we come with our agenda and our pride and our distractions and our apathy and, and worship is just an optional kind of thing in our life, forgive us for that. Just Father, that, that kind of empty worship is stench in your nostrils. It, the Bible says it's better that you just close the doors of the temple than light useless fires. But a heart that just desperately knows it needs your grace, needs your mercy, needs your love. A heart that just desperately knows that, that without you, God, I have no other source of help. And so I raise my Ebenezer, lifting up songs of worship, lifting up songs of grace. Heavenly Father, would you, just, would you just come to us and renew worship? Father, I pray for a spiritual awakening in the life of our church in the next weeks, the next months, this next year, that we would become known as a community that worships the living God, that they fear their living God, they take him seriously, that they love him and they know he loves them that they honor him, they worship him, just take him so seriously in their life. And so worship is just something that people maybe who don't even know you would walk in this place and they would just feel it, that the spirit of the living God is in this place. Now in order to do that, God, you got to tune our hearts. you got to tune our hearts. you got to change our perspective, our attitudes. And so would you do that for us? Would you, Holy Spirit, just begin to do that in our midst, even as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.